0: You're listening to the Yizi Research Podcast, hosted and created by me, Imani, a researcher. This is the podcast for people who research people.
1: In this episode, I have a conversation with Frankie. I'm Frankie. I'm an experienced designer and I'm born and raised in New York City.
0: As a UX researcher, I work with UX designers often and have a general idea about what they do, but I want to learn more. My conversation with Frankie will be about UX design, what it is, what it is not, and what UX researchers can do to make her job as a designer easier. And what exactly is an experienced designer? Is that different from a UX designer or a product designer? What is that?
1: Depends who you ask. Because the industry is relatively so new, um, there's a lot of, I don't want to say confusion, but there's a lot of overlap in these titles. um, And a lot of people will call themselves one thing and really they are the same thing as someone else. So yes, UX designer and experience designer are the same thing. Um, There's a lot of overlap in these job titles, but to me, they're really identical in what I'm doing. It really depends on what the company um, is looking for or how they see it is really what it comes down to.
0: What you said about the fact that the UX space in general is still relatively new is definitely true. Um, Like I know I've applied for jobs that were titled experience researcher, UX researcher, user researcher, product researcher, and those all seem like the same thing to me. (laughs) Like you said, it depends on who you're talking to. So it sounds like it's the same for designers as well.
1: It definitely is. Technically, product design is slightly different than experience design. But because, like I said, because it's super new, there is a lot of overlap And because a lot of people just don't understand this industry from the outside. um, They tend to look like they are the same. Um. But yeah, it can be definitely quite confusing when looking at the job descriptions to figure out which one you fit best for.
0: And so what exactly, as an experience designer, what are you designing? Are you designing apps, websites, in-person experiences?
1: Technically, it can be all the above. It's not just specific to digital products, which I think a lot of time a lot of people um, automatically associate us with. But for me specifically, my focus is apps and websites. That is just kind of where I love designing. It's where I can sit for hours and just crank screens out. Um, So for me, it's always been apps and websites, whether it's a new product or a redesign.
0: And when you said you can sit for hours and crank screens out, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean, I can sit with XD, Figma, Sketch, any of these design programs open and just start designing what the screens would look like. So moving pixels around in terms of, you know, placing an icon here thinking about how this interaction would occur. So if a user clicks the said button, what happens then? Um, And like the animations and the interactions that are going to take place based off of all of that. So thinking through how that user would really be working with the product is really what I mean by that.
0: Yeah, definitely sounds like a nice cousin to UX research, right? Thinking about the user. So you currently work as a UX design or um, an experience design contractor. So you work with different companies for a set amount of time as a contractor, right? And like, what is your typical day like in that capacity? So I'm sure it varies from contract to contract. Like, what are some of your typical tasks during the day?
1: So yeah, every day is very different, I would say. Um... It kind of varies on what's going on where we are in the process of that product but typically it's some combination i would say of meetings with the other designers on the team the engineering uh, individuals project managers anything along those lines any of those meetings or some combination of all of the above um and then also a good portion would be like i said sitting in front of the a design program and just making some of those screens and thinking through how a user would really be working through this product and thinking through what my user needs and what they want and how to bring that into the design itself. So it's really kind of a mix between designing and meetings and figuring out all, how all these different pieces play together.
0: I want to think about how you actually got here, right? Because I know for being a UX researcher, there's no set path into it. And I imagine for UX design, it's probably the same way. I do know though that you did do a UX bootcamp and you did graduate. So let's talk about that.
1: How did this bootcamp help you in your UX career? Sure. So yeah, what I have noticed as someone who is a mentor in this industry, I've noticed that more and more individuals are having a straight path into this industry. Um, and that's purely the fact that a lot more universities are having UX and interaction design courses um, and tracks or uh, degrees in this, in this field. You know, human-centered design degrees are coming out left and right now, which I think is great. And I think it will really help change the industry. But to your point, I do think that before this, a lot of people did not have a straight path by any means. And that's why I personally love this industry. I love hearing how anyone from any background can make a skill basically applicable to this industry, because it is so parallel. Um, But for me, yes, I did a boot camp to really get into this industry because I went to school for graphic design. I the whole story kind of starts that I fell in love with coding at a young age. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because it really does come full circle and lead me to where I am today in the sense that I love this ability to problem solve from a young age. All I ever that's why I love coding. It allowed me to really solve a problem through the code. But what I realized is is I'm more of a designer than a mathematical person. And so by college realized that, you know, coding isn't for me, but graph design is um, and that design piece. And so through a lot of exploration, I realized that I can you know design things and solve problems through design but there wasn't always reasonings or there never really was any reasoning rather behind why i was doing all of this um and so that's really what led me to ux design because it pulled in the problem solving through design with the data piece um, and that's what led me ultimate ultimately to the boot camp because when i was graduating college my university was just starting to have a experience design or ux track and so for me it was I know I want to go into this industry, but I don't have enough of the skill sets yet because we just didn't have it yet and so that led me to going into a boot camp to really get that fundamental um basic level of of education of you know what are the fundamental uh tips and tricks and things that I would need to know as an experienced designer so that I could then go into the field and continuously learn as I did more and more projects so for me it was really just getting that baseline of okay here's you know, the broad tools that I can then use and expand and keep growing on and keep going from.
0: You mentioned continuously learning, right? Even once you're done with the boot camp, you still have to learn afterwards, right? And I think that's important for any career path, but especially for people who are in UX. Like you mentioned earlier, UX is still relatively new, right? It's not as old as like the legal profession or the medical profession, right? We're still pretty, we're still relatively new. <laughs> our career field is at least. Um, so I like what you said about continuously learning. We're never we're never done learning. And to an extent, we're also shaping the UX space as well by virtue of being a part of it in its relatively earlier stages too.
1: Totally. Yeah. I think it's really important to remember that whether you come in through a university, a boot camp, whatever it is, I think you still need to always be learning just because, to both of our points, it is still so new. And so everything is constantly changing. You know, some of the programs that I first started when I, you know, not even that long ago when I first started, when I was using, no longer is an industry best practice um, and things like that. So it's because it is so new, it's just evolving super, super quickly. So it is important to just stay on top of trends and on top of. Best practices.
0: How do you actually stay up to date with the trends
1: in the UX space? Um, I look to two places personally. I like Medium. I think there's a lot of great articles on there, and there's a lot specifically targeting kind of individuals breaking into the field as well. So I think there's a lot on like the trends and upcoming things that you should be looking at. So that's one place that I love to go to, um, especially because it's great. They like cater every morning. It's like, okay, here's your top couple stories you should be reading. So it's just quick and easy at my fingertips so that experience overall is great. Um, And then also I love Instagram. I think that a lot of times people forget how much of an educational space Instagram can be, which I know sounds quite strange to say out loud. But there's a lot of especially in the design, specifically the UX uh, space, there's a ton of educational content on Instagram, there's a lot of individuals trying to post to just help others, um, myself included. And so I think it's a great place to really just look Um, And just see what you can find, because people will will give little snippets. And it's, you know, a lot of times about something they're working on or something they've just learned. And then you can go and do a deeper dive on Google. So I think that's a great space to look um, for little snippets of like what's coming up and what people are focused on.
0: I never I'm not a big Instagram user. Um, I've had it in the past, but I never saw Instagram as a place for education right? I usually associate that with LinkedIn in terms of social media platforms. So I do appreciate you saying that that Instagram can be a space for learning, especially if you are a designer, because it's a very visual first platform. So it makes sense that for design, you would see a lot of useful things and tidbits there.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one that a lot of people do not think about for sure. But I think to your point, especially for design, I think it's a great place. Like If you have an idea that you've worked on for like a school project or a passion project, something that's not under NDA, like don't be afraid to just post like a a visual of it on Instagram and see the reactions you've got. I think it's a great way to just get feedback right off the bat because people are constantly on it. Um, And it may not necessarily be the target audience, but I think it's people who are going to be visual people. And I think that's, you know, always important piece of feedback as well. So that's another thing to remember about Instagram.
0: And I often hear UX and UI mentioned together, but they're different. What is the difference between
1: UX and UI? So they're definitely interconnected. Um, I like to split them up with UX being the research and UI being the design. That is obviously super, super simplified. Um, They definitely go hand in hand. And I think you really can't have one without the other to have a successful product. But at the end of the day, the UX piece becomes figuring out really what are what is it that your user wants? You know, what are their needs, their goals, their desires, um, their behaviors? How are they interacting with either your product or the existing space that you're trying to get into? Um, So it's really about learning about what's going on already and being able to bring that into then the UI piece, which becomes the design, which is really what you're seeing at the end of the day when you're using an app or a website or a product. It's the visuals, it's the aesthetics. Um, and I think that in order to be successful, you really need both to be um, to work well and to have been thought through. Because if a product is pretty, it may be eye-catching, but it may not work well. So you're gonna potentially lose your users. But if a product works well and isn't pretty, but there's a ton of competitors out there who are uh, eye-catching and very pretty and aesthetically uh, pleasing, then you're probably not going to have those users either because they're going to go to the more aesthetically pleasing one just because by human nature, that's what we do. So it's they're very important pieces to work hand in hand, but they are also very different skill sets at, this, at the same time.
0: You said that for you, UX is the actual research component and the UI is like the visuals and the aesthetics, how the app or the website looks. How does UX research actually fit into UX design or at least... As you work as a designer, how does UX research fit in for you? Like when should UX research happen with respect to design? When is it important? Which methods work best for you? How does UX research fit into your design
1: workflow? I always think research should come first. I think it's the most important step to start with because really at the end of the day, how can you design a product for your user if you don't know your user? Um, You know, research, really what you're doing is you're trying to understand why you're building this product or why this redesign needs to happen. you know, why is this current existing product not working? And so in order to do that, you really need to have those conversations with your users. You need to see how they're interacting with the space. And so I always say the best thing to do is start with that. you know, reach out to the people who would be using your product or who are using your product depending on where you're at. Um, and then once you've gotten that initial um, interaction with your users, it's then still important to continuously be iterative with them. So even though once you kind of move forward and you uh, progress along in the overall process and you start getting into the design phases, it's still important to continuously go back to your users. Um, and what I mean by this is that even once I get into the design phase and so more of the, the UI, the visuals, it's still important to take prototypes, whether they are you know in a design program or they're more robust and built out, um, it's important to then take that back to the user as well and say, hey, look, like, let's do some usability tests on this, you know, let me watch you actually interact with this product and see how you're, you're interacting with it. You know, do I, the way that I had assumed that the user would go through and interact with this flow, is that really what's happening? Um, and that's super important to be able to really make sure that I'm testing the product with these users so that when we get to launching time, that, you know, I'm launching something that I know a user knows how to interact with. Um, and works in the way that they want and they expect it to work. Um, and so basically, the way, to get back to your question, the way that research really falls into my work is that it, it never really ends. It's a continuous process. It's just always being iterative um, and continuously being um, going back to the user's list.
0: Do you prefer to do your own UX research or work with the UX researcher? I
1: feel like you're not going to like my answer. Firstly, <laughs> I like to do it myself, or I like to be involved with the researcher. Um the reason I say this though is because I find being the one doing the research or being part of it at least I have a lot more uh, a better understanding of who the user is just because I've seen it firsthand. Um and I think it also helps me to think through more of their mindset if I'm the one coming up with the questions and thinking through more of that lens than just being more of the visual person at the end of the day. Um and so that's why I say that like I think it's helpful to kind of be part of the whole process just because you really do feel that you're part of the users or that you you know them firsthand, I guess, more so.
0: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So you can be a part of the end-to-end process and not just like a bystander.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: And how, so when you do have to work with UX researchers, because again, a lot of the people listening to this are UX researchers or want to be UX researchers, how can UX researchers make your job easier as a UX designer, especially since you're a designer who prefers to do your own research? How can we make your job easier for working with you?
1: Don't get me wrong. I think it's great working with UX research people, by all means. I just like being part of those conversations, even if it's being a fly on the wall during those, you know, during those interviews. Um, I think the most important piece, though, to have that kind of more seamless uh, conversation and flow between the UX researcher and the UX or the experience designer, the visual designer, any of that grouping, um, would just be having open conversations. I think what's really important is making sure that everyone's involved in the research plan um, and making sure that, you know, as a designer, I usually have a set of questions or ideas of areas that designed with the understanding of my user, but I still have a lot of questions about whether or not that actually will work the way I think it will. I think that's important to mention here because I think that's a very important piece to bring up in those conversations with the researchers to say, hey, look, okay, this is a specific area I need you to please focus on. This is what I'm trying to get out from this. Um, And so I think the best thing is, is just having those conversations about what you're both looking for and what you're both questioning about who the user is um, and what the product needs. Um, And so I think that's the best way is just making sure that, you know, there's open communication about all those questions being asked to the users.
0: If you are an aspiring or current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, professional brand, interview skills, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yeezy Research Coaching Program. Coaching clients exit the program with a refreshed resume, cover letter, research portfolio, and detailed notes to make them more competitive in the UX research job market. If you are interested or know someone who is, visit yizzyresearch.com to learn more and apply. That's yizzyresearch. Y-Z-Z-I, research.com. I always say whenever I work with other stakeholders, UX, other UX researchers, UX designers, um, product managers, I always try to be democratic and diplomatic in my approach. I try to involve people if they want to be involved, inviting them to sessions, um, letting them come sit in, answering questions they have after the fact. So I, I think that's good too. Like you said, just trying to be as collaborative as possible. My next question for you, and this is more of like a logistical question for you as someone, if you're coming behind someone who's already done research, whether it was a, a researcher or another designer, what's the easiest way for you to find research? I'm just curious. Like, do you like Airtable? Is it easier to go into like
1: a OneDrive or Google Drive? I'm just curious. Like, what's your preference? I think that's a good question. I think it really depends on who I'm working with, honestly. Um, I personally don't have a preference. It's more of just kind of what I'm handed and how it's been done previously with that individual. Um I guess what's been really helpful recently is being able to actually go in and rewatch the recordings of those conversations. So I would say any way that you can pass those on would be helpful um, because, like I said earlier, I think the most important thing is is just being able to really see firsthand how those users are explaining things and watching them interact with the the way that they're handling the scenario at the moment or your physical product. Um, and yes, it's great to hear it from the researchers, and I'm not you know, putting, not trying to talk negatively by any means about UX research here. All I'm getting at is that human nature-wise, you know, we're not going to be able to explain it as well as that first person did. Um, And so I think it's just the easiest to be able to rewatch those recordings if I can't be in on those
0: meetings. How do you approach UX design when designing a totally new product as opposed to redesigning an existing product?
1: Um, I would say I tend to start relatively similarly. Um, in the sense that I think the most important thing is making sure that I understand the space. The space being either if it's a new product, you know, the the, the market that we're trying to come into and understanding why the space never been explored before. Um, also, from the other side of it, you know, why are we exploring the space now? Why is this a problem area? Um, how are we going to be helping people? So it's really coming in and understanding from that perspective of why am I here in essence? What am I trying to get at? Versus if it's a existing product, I will more so come in from the mindset of, A, understanding the space, so trying to understand that market, but also going a, a, a level deeper and saying, okay, we have an existing product on the market. Why is this not working? Because normally I'm coming in to make it better. Um, otherwise, why would I be there? So I'm coming in and understanding from the the mindset of, Why do customers not like this? Why are customers dropping off? Um, How can we make this better and more what the users expect and what they want? So it's really just trying to understand um, that difference there of new space versus different space of really interacting with generally that market space.
0: I know for UX researchers, a big thing with us, a hot topic, a buzzword amongst us is storytelling, right? Storytelling your UX research. And I know for designers, storytelling is a thing for you all as well. So how is UX design storytelling and how do you, mm-hmm. how, how do you storytell with designs?
1: I love this question. I am a huge proponent of storytelling. I talk about it way too often, specifically in this kind of UX space. Um, I think from the design area, it is a super important uh, piece to bring in. And I think it comes in at many different spaces in our careers, but also along our day-to-days. And I think for us as designers, it comes in in a lot of these places, the first place being who you are. Um, You know, it is super important to be able to tell your own narrative and your elevator pitch. Um, And I think storytelling is one of the most important pieces there because it helps you really highlight who you are, your skill sets. And, you know, because we are human, we all fall into this piece of we find something that's more engaging. We're going to be, we will remember it more. So that's the first base that I think it comes into. But then it also comes into more of our actual day-to-day work. Um, And the reason I say this, and this is more probably what your question is, but it comes in more of our design work where... It is important, A, to tell the story of when we're trying to talk to stakeholders of who, why are we solving this problem? Um, Storytelling really comes in when we're trying to get um, stakeholders on board or we're trying to talk about our own reasoning for why we're making design decisions. Um, It really helps us showcase why we are making, um, you know, said decision and explaining it through that narrative of who our user is. So I think storytelling really helps us because it really brings in what we call our user persona. Um, And so basically, this is our kind of characterized version of who our user is. um, And it's really helping us bring in that story of saying, okay, this is why we're doing this. This is what we're doing. And here's how we're doing. And the whole time that golden thread, that story piece, is that person, is that persona. Um, And I think that it's super important because it just really helps us highlight all of these features.
0: So I know as a researcher, one of my favorite deliverables is personas, but I also know that a lot of designers create their own personas, right? Sometimes it's based on research they've done themselves some themselves. Sometimes it's based on research that a researcher did. And sometimes it's not based on any research. It's more so based on assumptions and hypotheses. So I saw a knowing smile there for you. So like with personas, how have you engaged with personas in the past? Have you created them yourself? Have you based them on your own research with users, someone else's research? I have done all the above.
1: It really depends on the team I'm working on, I would say, or the project I'm working on. I have done it when I was first starting out. When I was freelancing, I would do it all myself because I was doing all the research by myself, um, and so I was the one talking to the users, pulling in all of that good, juicy information, and then moving it into a persona style um, artifact. So I was the one doing all the all of that. I've also done it where I've joined a team later on, and so whether it was another designer or it was another research or it was a researcher who did it, I was then trying to come in and. You know, understand some of that research and pull it into a persona. Um, And I've also done it where it was all kind of just already done by other people, and I just had to come in and take it for word and just understand it. Um, So it really does just kind of depend on the group that you're working with and the individuals who's on that team. Can
0: you talk a little bit about how? So you mentioned that you've created personas in different situations. I'm just curious, as someone who is a researcher, I'm curious, how did you create personas not based on research?
1: This was a great so a great example of this was when I was in a boot camp. So a lot of our projects were completely made up, and unfortunately, because we were you know in a little boot camp bubble, we weren't able to talk to the exact user base. Just based off of the um, crazy time limits and the fact of we just did not have any resources for um, allocating to research because it was a boot camp and an educational space. And so in these scenarios, although we would try and find the target user, it wasn't always possible. You know, in the case where we would each ask our classmates if they knew someone or if another classmate fit that space, then it was perfect and we'd use them. But if that wasn't the case, then there was times where, you know, we would end up having to do it, um, make a persona based on our own assumptions in the sense that we thought we knew our user, but because we weren't able to actually talk to that specific user base, we would have to do it based off of the best that we could, based off of whether it was a past product that we had worked on in terms of a different industry like before coming to ux um if we just had a better idea of kind of understanding that space um or whether it was what someone else could tell us um if they had known like a, someone else through them scenario so that's really the, the space where it was kind of like we're just kind of guessing here um and we're doing the best we can based off of the limited resources and limited uh uh people we can get available. There's also this theme too. I
0: noticed when you were talking, um, this theme of resourcefulness, right? Like when you are a UX person, you do have to be resourceful. You mentioned in the boot camp, you didn't always have, um, you didn't always have the resources to either conduct the research or the time, right? So you just have to be resourceful and create those personas based on assumptions or hypotheses, right? And I think this idea of being resourceful is really cornerstone to being a UX professional, right? Like you said, the UX space is still relatively new and because it's new, it changes so quickly. So we definitely have to stay on our toes, whether that's viewing LinkedIn or Instagram for inspiration, whether that's adapting to not having a budget, whether that's adapting to participants just not showing up or having participants that don't really give you a lot of meat in the interviews or usability tests, maybe having deadlines that shift, having a product roadmap that is revamped, right? So there's this theme of being resourceful and working with what you have as the context around you constantly changes so that that's definitely something I can relate to as a researcher too
1: I think that's very important to mention I think one of the best skill sets that any of us whether it's from the research side or the design side is being able to read people um, and I feel like this can be taken in the, wrong, uh, in the wrong way but what I mean by this really is the fact that we need to be able to think on our toes whether it's in a user interview and it goes completely in a different direction than you were anticipating. Um, And I find that usually when I've been the one doing the research, those are the times when you probably get the best stories and you get the best information Um, just because that person is super comfortable and they've gone down this really interesting um, bit of information. Um, And I think that's something that's really interesting, even from the design side, is being able to not be afraid to run with an idea. You know, you're having conversation, whether it's with engineering, project management, other designers, and something that's just kind of, you know, the light bulb basically goes off and not being afraid to just say, you know what, let me just run with this and see what happens. Um, knowing that it could be completely wrong, but I think sometimes you end up with some really interesting and unique uh, ways of solving solutions. And I think that's just really important is not being afraid to just try something completely different and just going forward.
0: And also another theme is like having a capacity for experimentation, which I guess that ties into being resourceful. When people ask me, like, what is something you need to know how to do, or what is a characteristic you need to have as a researcher? I always say just a capacity for experimentation. That's what researchers do. We experiment, right? Um, so yeah, I think that that sounds like that applies to design as well, just trying different things, running with it, having the confidence to say, you know what, I'll just try this. And also having enough confidence to say, okay, if this blows up in my face, at least I tried, right? How can I regroup? How can we learn from this and move forward and make a better plan next time?
1: Totally. I think it's also the importance of iterations comes in here as well, especially from a design piece. if If you ever see any of my design docs, you will see I will have the same screen over and over again, you know, crazy number of times, each one being slightly different. And the piece being that there is that usually I found that, you know, I may have an idea at the beginning, but the more I play with it, the better I'll end up with a a better solution. And so it's this idea of not being afraid to just keep trying and iterating because whether it's the research or the design side, I think you'll end up with a better solution just because you've thought more through it and you've thought about more from that, the user side about who's using it, how they're using it, why they're using it and pulling in all of that juicy information. Juicy,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I also know when you try new things, and I'm learning this too, sometimes your stakeholders just don't like that or aren't on board with it, right? I know for me, I've had especially as a contractor who's working with different companies every few months, right? I've had to learn how to get adjusted to different stakeholder to different stakeholder Capacities for experimentation, I had to adjust to their different tolerances for that, right? And not everyone is always interested in you trying something too new, right? Like sometimes you come in and they're like, look, we have, we want you to work on X, have it done by this date, and just share your findings with us, right? So sometimes you don't have that wiggle room. As a designer, have you found that in some contracts, you have, your stakeholders have a higher tolerance for this experimentation? And have you found that others, don't, or is it pretty consistent for you?
1: I would say, as a designer, there's definitely that pushback still. I think it does go to the piece of it's a newer industry, and I don't think people necessarily realize how much effort and time it takes for a lot of what we do. Part of that process needs to be this iteration. I don't think people factor it in enough of the time. And I think that, to your point, yes, I've definitely seen it where people don't factor it in, and I've had to give some pushback. Um, and I think that just makes me a stronger designer at the end of the day. And it proves to me every single time why I'm in this industry and why I love this industry. Um, it just makes me realize even more so of, you know, what the benefit of this industry is. Um, and so I think that, unfortunately, it's inevitable. And I'm hoping, you know, in a couple of years from now, it won't be. But I, I do think from a design side, it is it is definitely there. And what is the hardest part of designing products I think the hardest part about designing a product is making sure I'm solving the right problem. I think that this is a huge question of always trying to figure out what is the actual problem at hand. And I think the thing that always comes to mind is, and I feel, maybe you know this scenario, this is definitely, this was taught in my boot camp. I don't know if it's taught on the, the research side as well, but it's that kind of, it's that story of the little, you know, five year old kid who asked why a hundred different times. Um, every single time I start a project, I like see this image um and the reason i i bring this up is it's the fact of making sure that you're getting to that root of the problem you know the first time you ask why you you'll get an answer probably but it's going to be a very basic level answer of you know i just don't like it but then the more times you ask why you get to really the the fundamental reasoning for why they're having this issue um and i think for me that's the biggest piece is remembering to always really kind of obviously in a nice way Um, in a non-aggressive and a non-intrusive way, but pushing your user to make sure you're getting to the real answer um, and making sure that you know once you've gone into that space. Um, I think that can also be really hard is like, how do you know when you've gone into that final why? Um, And I think that's really what comes down to, is making sure you have enough numbers of users you're talking to um, and enough reasoning um, for for figuring out enough people saying that that's the answer. I think also coming from a design side, it also plays in as like, how do you know when you're done designing a screen? Um, You know, how do you know that this screen is completely finished? It's ready to be shipped. And I think that you can easily sit and keep iterating on a screen for forever. And I think it just comes with practice at the end of the day of knowing, you know, this can become over-designed. I'm happy with this. It solves the problem that was needed. It uh, follows UX best, best practices. And it also you know, doesn't cause any pain points for a user. So I think we're good to go. And that's when testing comes in. You know, that's when the usability piece of going back to the user comes in.
0: Yeah. And to answer your question, UX researchers, we are also trained and socialized to ask why a lot too. I know for me, it is a delicate balance when you're actually talking to a participant, constantly asking, hmm, why? Why is that right? I I always joke that it's like being a UX researcher is trying to figure out a hundred ways to ask someone why, (laughs) why they did something right. Or what do you think about that? Or what made you say this? You said X. Why do you think X, right? And like you said, I like what you said about knowing in an interview or usability testing session, any kind of research session, knowing when you're at the final why. Because sometimes, oftentimes, I know for me as a researcher, I do like to pull pull the the gold, pull the insights out of the participants, but sometimes they've shared what they sincerely think and they don't have anything else to share, right? And so it's a mm-hmm. balance between trying to make sure you're not leaving any stone unturned, but also not being a pain in the ass either. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely, it's a delicate
1: balance. It is for sure, exactly. It's, and that just comes to practice, I think, at the end of the day is like trying to figure out where is that happy medium, you know, the Goldilocks scenario. Exactly.
0: And lastly, is it possible to over-design or under-design a
1: product? Definitely to both those questions. Um, and I think this comes into what we were just discussing as well in the last question. But I think in terms of over-designing, I think yes. I think you can easily fall into the rabbit hole of spending hours and days and months, whatever it is, on this one screen um, and just keep iterating on it because no one's going to stop you at the end of the day. You know, maybe there's, realistically, you'll have a time constraint that will stop you. But in a bubble scenario where there isn't, you can just keep designing for forever and like no one's going to tell you you got to stop. Like there's no buzzer going to go off. Um, and I think that, you know, you can fall into that easily. And I think it's all about knowing when to stop is really the, the, the piece there. It's understanding your skill level and trusting your gut of when it's done. Um, and obviously there's research that comes into it, as I was saying before, of knowing that it's solving the problem that you were set out to do with that screen is really what you're, I think the, the finish line becomes at the end of the day. Um, Whereas from the other side of it, I think you can under design at the same time where maybe it's because of time constraints, you're rushing something um, too quickly, or you don't think through it well enough, or you haven't gotten to the real, um, the real why, as we were saying, you know, you, you aren't solving for the correct problem. And so, You could be at maybe, you know, the second tier Y and what you're doing is you're solving for that level. And so you think you're completely done, but in reality, you're under-designing it because the real Y that is the problem you're trying to get to is three layers lower. Um, And so by the time that you end up shipping, you're shipping something that doesn't actually solve the problem because you're under-designing. So it is definitely easy to fall between both of those. And I, as much as I hate saying this, and I think I've said it before, is it just comes with level of experience honestly the more practice you do the better you you get at knowing which is kind of that goldilocks middle ground
0: who are your stakeholders usually when you work as a designer i know for me my stakeholders internally are usually if there's another ux researcher on the team um ux designers product managers product marketing managers those are usually my my
1: people who's usually who are usually your stakeholders it really depends on the team i would say like who's involved Um, because I think every team is structured quite differently. Um, But I would say engineering is a big one to add to that. I think they have a big say in it because also it depends, you know, if you're shipping a newer product, you're probably more on the MVP side, the minimal viable product side, trying to get something out more so to test the physical product, than you know, let's make the best shiny thing ever. Um, And so making sure those conversations with engineering of understanding feasibility is really important. Um, and making sure that maybe, you know, for this version, we're going to limit a couple of the designs just so we can get that out um, based off the engineering perspective. So I'd say engineering, other designers, project managers, um, a lot of the same group, UX researchers for sure. Um, Yeah, I would say the same, but adding an engineer.
0: Yeah, I think that with designers, you are a lot lot closer to engineering than researchers are, at least in my experience. I know I don't usually work with the engineers um in terms of like the actual research. But when I have readout sessions, they are always really curious and they always ask really good questions at the end. And they do like to actually read the readout decks. But in terms of like the research sessions, I usually don't in I usually don't invite them. And maybe I should, but it seems like with design, you're more I guess design and engineering are a lot more closely linked because you actually are designing what it what it looks like. It's like you're designing the actual car and they're designing like the engine of the car, right?
1: I think it can be interesting to say, like, maybe open up those sessions to engineering. I think it, you know, it would definitely depend on their timing and what they're interested in. But I think there are some engineers who I found where, you know, design may not have told them, okay, this interaction needs to go from this animation to this animation. You know, it needs to dissolve like this. Um, You know, I found that we may not tell them that, but we'll end up ultimately getting a prototype that looks like that because they have a bit more of that um, design in them. Um, and they just are interested in it and they want to play with it. And so, you know, I think potentially if they're in those conversations, maybe it could help them ultimately, you know, spark more of that because they know what the user's looking for. I, I don't know. I'm guessing here, but I've definitely I know a couple of engineers who have definitely dabbled in the design side and have been intrigued by it. Um, and I think that can be very helpful.
0: One of the hardest parts for me, being a UX researcher, is knowing who to invite to which sessions, right? Like knowing who to, who cares about the actual research sessions, right? Who cares about the readout? Who cares about being a part of the actual research planning, right? I, I know that's really that's a huge pain point for me. It's just knowing who to invite when, right? Like I don't want to invite people who aren't really interested, but then I don't want to exclude anyone, right? So that's a hard part for me. I don't know—is that hard for you too?
1: Um I've never really worked on larger teams when I'm the one doing the research so I've never been in that scenario. <clears throat> um it's usually if I'm doing the research it's relatively usually for like freelance stuff. So I don't have that option, but I can definitely understand where that's coming from and I think that it really will depend on that person's perspective sometimes as well of like what what they think is important. I think a lot of times also people don't realize how helpful those readouts can be or those Listening in on those conversations can really help understanding um, moving the product forward. So, you know, I think it, it also comes down to us as the designers, the researchers, all of us in this space, proving how important all that is as well to make sure that we're all aligned at the end of the day on who our user is and what they need.
0: I had a general idea about what designers did, but I have a clearer idea now. This sense of understanding makes it easier to think about how I approach UX research with designers, including giving them the flexibility to do their own research while I serve as a consultant or coach on the sidelines. I believe this was an important conversation because as UX research and design become distinctive career paths, it's useful to remember that our end goal of making people's lives better is the same. Thanks for listening to the Yeezy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. I'm Imani, the host and creator. Visit yeezyresearch.com for podcast show notes and information about my UX research coaching program. Again, that's yeezyresearch.com, Y-Z-Z-I, research.com. This podcast was produced by Whisper and Mutter.